1: What's up, everybody? It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you once again. The big Wednesday night show. I'm Anthony. He's John. We've had a jam-packed and we'll continue to have a jam-packed week as we get closer to week one of the regular season. I hope you're all doing well. John, what's going on, my man? Uh, We've had a lot of of fun stuff come out this week and more
2: to come. A lot of fun stuff so far. A lot of fun stuff planned. But that's the nature of late August when you're doing a football show. Things are ramping up. Training camp is ramping up. Preseason is winding down. There's a lot to talk about with what's going to happen in the next few days here with the Bengals.
1: We've got a lot on tap tonight for this show. We're going to recap the loss to the Washington football team. We're going to play this this newer little game we've been playing the last few weeks, believe it or not. Kind of talk about some topics and see whether or not we believe the hype and or panic surrounding certain headlines with the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to pre- preview a position group. We're going to start wrapping that series up. And uh, we've got a, a small soundbite of the week and obviously another preseason game to talk about the finale against Miami. So we're going to get to all of that. We're going to try and cram it into an hour, maybe earlier if we can, but we'll see. We, we sometimes trend to go long, but uh, we're going to try not to go super long. We hope you've enjoyed what we've been putting out this week so far, by the way, in case you haven't seen, uh, we did a better late than never uh, analysis of the week two game. So go check that out. A brief episode. We did the water cooler chat earlier today. We released an interview. We briefly teased it once, and then we kind of teased you a little bit more about it with Devin and Leah still. So go check out that interview. Really, really cool that we were able to talk to both of them. And then of course we've got the show tonight. And Friday, Listener Questions Live, we're going to be joined by Jake Liscow and James Rapine from Locked On Bangles and the All Bangles website. And, uh, John, that, that's going to be a fun one, man.
2: Jake has been trying to get on the show for a while, and I feel like I've been leading him on to getting him on the show, but we just haven't been able to do it. It's weird because, you know, they do, the, I guess, their own – Little Bengals podcast, if you guys have ever heard of it. You guys should definitely support them because they need all the support they can get. They're definitely behind us in the ratings or whatnot. But, you know, he's got his own schedule, as does James. But it's nice to combine the two, give you guys a crossover right right before the season to preview what the season is, kind of recap what the preseason is, and kind of answer some questions. So that should be a lot of fun on Friday. That'll be a lot. Yeah, that'll be a lot
1: of fun. We're going to do that at 3 Eastern on Friday. And then we're going to also try probably after um, we, we got to get with the rest of the guys on the Cincinnati Jungle Podcast channel, but try and get a, a conglomeration show um, with with Ace and Zim and Matt and the two of us and kind of talk about what's going on as we go to the regular season with the Cincinnati Bengals. So we're, we're going to be doing a lot. I also want to say this. I, I know we've got a lot to get to. John, You uh, you you were able to cash out and divvy out the money to the Munoz Foundation, the Ken Anderson Alliance, and the Ken Riley Foundation. Unfortunately, we received some not great news this week about Ken Anderson and Ken Riley regarding the Hall of Fame, but I just want to personally thank all of our listeners, all the Cincy Jungle readers, because we well surpassed our goal. What did we get to, John, about 22 dollars $2,300 or something um, that was was divvied out evenly amongst those three charities, which is awesome. Twenty two.
2: dollars um, hundred dollars, twenty two forty six, so two thousand yep. two hundred forty six. So I just at add, we added like just four four dollars to make it an even twenty two fifty. So seven hundred fifty dollars was distributed to all three charities. The payments are confirmed. They have left the GoFundMe fund, and we actually did get an email from um, Nolan J. Henson, who is a committee member for the Ken Riley Foundation, oh, wow. and he emailed us. She said, "I would like to acknowledge your contribution." To the Ken Raleigh Foundation incorpor- Incorporation, your generous donation will go a long way toward assisting a student attend attending college or technical school. Since no money is used to pay committee members, 100% of your donation will go towards assisting a student. And that's what we did for all three of these. Like We covered the cost of like the fees for, for whatever like the bank takes out of this. So 100% of all your guys' proceeds are contributing to these great causes and we, we definitely got some recognition there too. So Thank you guys so much for being a part of that, making it a resounding success. It's going to impact a lot of people's lives who would definitely need it.
1: That's awesome. We do have, I I, I have not forgotten. We do have giveaways for some of the donors. We needed to settle all of, uh, all of the donations, close that up and then obviously get the money to the respective charities. But we'll be announcing some winners of some prizes there. Thank you so much to everybody for donating. Wanted to acknowledge that had not had the chance to do so this week, but, uh, wanted to acknowledge everybody who contributed there. So thanks for that. And, John, thanks for spearheading the, the GoFundMe portion of that and uh, getting those donations out. I appreciate that personally as well. Let's just start getting to some Bengals stuff as well, though, because there's a lot to get to, as we've mentioned. The Bengals went to Washington, and it was a sloppy game. It was uh, There were some good things to take away from it. Bengals lose 17-13. I think, John, as I, and it's kind of a reason why I waited a couple of days to do a a quote-unquote post-game analysis. It's because when when I watched the game, I was like, wow, this is pretty ugly. Then you kind of take a step back and you see some of the PFF data. You kind of review some of the, the film and certain players and whatnot. Things looked a little better than they did kind of watching that game live, at least for me. Uh, what were your impressions? We're going to talk to Mark Chase. We're going to talk about a lot of players, um, obviously, that, that were <laughs> part of that that loss. But uh, what were your overall impressions now that you've had almost a week to digest that game?
2: It was the quintessential preseason game. I think they played Washington the last time there was a preseason. It was like Dwayne Haskins' like first game or something. It was at Washington, too. And I remember that game being pretty ugly, too. But it's, it's just sloppy. It, it, there's not a lot of production moving the ball, a lot of punts, and that kind of comes with the territory of preseason. But it's also a reminder of what the preseason is about. It's not evaluating the overall team success and the team production. It's about these individual evaluations. And sometimes that goes into evaluating position groups as a whole. And honestly, even though the Bengals lost 17-13, to 13, they didn't have a lot of offensive success for most of the game outside of kind of late towards the game where the run blocking improved and Chris Evans and Jack West Patrick got going again. The offensive line, first and second string, looks very good against the defensive line that's as deep and, and talented as Washington's is, and even without Joseph aside popped off in his first ever preseason game, pass rush was still pretty decent, too. I think DJ Reader specifically has maybe rushed the pass for like six or eight times in two preseason games, and he has like three pressures and a couple quarterback hits, so he's looking like a brand new player himself. The entire first team looks pretty energetic. Trey Hendrickson, I guess, didn't have as much success against Washington's offensive line as he did against Tampa Bay's, but I think both of those units are the main storylines right now. That was; Those were the units that got the majority of the emphasis in the offseason in terms of what needs to be improved. They got most of the investments in free agency and the draft, and right now those investments look like they're paying off because both of those units look like the strongest units on this team, which could not be said about this team in the last two years, and they faced two straight very good defensive lines, and two straight, very good offensive lines. And so far, both those units are looking better. And you're not going to score a lot of points when you have Brandon Allen as a quarterback, and then you throw in Kyle Shermer and Eric Dungy, who both, I think, had a turnover each. So you know you're not going to score a lot of points, especially when your number one receiver is dropping all three of his passes. But I think the units that needed to show progress are continuing to show progress, and that is the biggest and most important takeaway from this preseason game.
1: We are going to talk a bit more about the defensive line and Joseph Osai who has basically been ruled uh, all but ruled out for the rest of the season there, which is a big blow to the Bengals. We're going to talk about that in our believe it or not segment so hang tight for that as well as some Jamar Chase things. Um, uh, you know I, I think to, to continue on a little bit with some of your offensive line um, off, offensive line observations, John. This is something I would like to share here. This is from the Pro Football Focus Cincinnati Bengals uh, account. And I think this is the one I wanted to share here. Uh, Here here you go here with the PFF scores in terms of the first two weeks of the season. Mike Jordan, your top pass-blocking offensive lineman on 25 pass-blocking snaps. John, 85.5 grade by PFF. Deontay Smith, 84.8. On 16 snaps, Jonah Williams an 81.8 on 10 snaps, Xavier Suafilo on 23 snaps, John 23 uh, 23 snaps in a 78 grade, Riley Reef a 76.7 grade on 10 pass blocking snaps. So, I guess where I'm going with that is, you know, how surprised are you on that? How much stock should we be taking on in on that right now? I've been very impressed with. Mike Jordan, I've been impressed with the first units. I think in the first two games, they definitely have not given up a sack, if I remember correctly, that pressures have been little to none. Um, So, I mean, this offensive line is playing well and a little surprising to me to see Suofilo up there. uh, But, I mean, look at the names there. The the offensive line is doing
2: work. Yeah, the first-team offensive line has not allowed a pressure so far, I think, against – Washington's fearsome foursome, if you will, like Montez Sweat, John Allen, Deron Payne, um, Chase Young, like they didn't get anywhere near Brandon Allen. Even when the Bengals took out their first string offensive line and Washington kept in their first string entire defense, there was, I think, a drive or two where that was happening, and they held their own. Like, for the most part, the only bad plays this offensive line has had is when you've had this fake player named Gunnar Vogel at right tackle. Um, <laughs> Isaiah Prince, unfortunately, didn't play as well against Washington as he did against Tampa Bay. So maybe his momentum to make the roster has dwindled. And Jackson Carmen, like I think, gave up a pressure uh, two weeks ago against Tampa Bay. Other than that, Riley Reef looks like how Riley Reef was supposed to. Jonah Williams looks like he's progressed the way he's supposed to. And probably the biggest surprise is Michael Jordan, who played right guard in week one against Tampa Bay but then had to play left guard in this game because Deontay Smith couldn't play. He was dealing with some dehydration issue. So he was the second team left guard after basically practicing at right guard for all of training camp and looked completely different than how we normally saw him at left guard. He has made probably the biggest improvement out of this entire group. And it's weird because he's playing well, but they still aren't crowning him as the starter. It it looks like Xavier Suafiel has, all but won that competition because he's going to start against Miami at right guard. And you have to figure if he and Quinn Spain are starting in week three, the last preseason game that basically has decided that competition. So I think you're looking at the best possible scenario with Michael Jordan right now. You're not relying on him to start, but he looks a lot more improved than what he did last year. It's like everything that we've heard about him putting in the work this offseason and taking everything that happened last year, personal, it has, has translated into something tangible that we can see as progress, but obviously we haven't seen it in the regular season yet. And they aren't, they aren't relying on that to translate into the regular season. And like you said, Xavier Suofield has played solid enough to basically hold on to that spot. And even Jackson Carmen improved, I think in week two, he had a kind of an up and down week one, but his run blocking specifically against Washington, him and Fred Johnson, that right guard, right tackle, they were bulldozing Washington's second team defensive line. And it led to some of the biggest progress that we saw on offense. So, from top to bottom, like, they're going to keep 10 offensive linemen in this group. And it's looking like there's not really one huge weakling. Even Billy Price, to, for, to his credit, you know, he still has issues in run blocking, but he hasn't given up a pressure, I think, yet in pass blocking. So you kind of have to give it up to Frank Pollock. Like, there's been a lot, of high, a lot of hype, a lot of talk with him, but we're seeing the results kind of firsthand. And it's looking like this unit is playing really well against really good competition.
1: You know, I, I as I watched some of the film of the the offensive line, I go back and I kind of rewatched the game a little bit, and some of these pass block snaps. I mean, I didn't I didn't dive through with a with a fine tooth comb on every single snap, but I watched some of them and I rewatched them and rewatched them, and it just seems, John. You know, it's it's the, the techniques just seems a little bit cleaner. And the other thing that just kind of sticks out to me, and this is maybe just a vague, broad, sweeping statement, but it just seems that the guys out there, no matter – we, we always talked about over the past couple of years with Jim Turner, wow, they just haven't been able to gel as a group. They haven't had the time together. They keep moving guys in and out. And, yeah, that was part of the problem. But it just, that even with moving parts this year, John, it just seems that the competency level of everybody in terms of maybe the mental aspect and what they're supposed to be doing – on a given snap has risen this year. And it, and it seems – I think that goes back to not allowing a pressure from the first group, not allowing sacks by the first group, and it just looks a lot cleaner. There are some things to clean up in the run game. There are some – I mean, it's it's not a perfect scenario, but I think at this point and, – and, yeah, I know it's preseason and other defenses are throwing vanilla things at the offensive line, but to me it just looks like, guys – seem to understand a little bit more about what their assignments are and what they're supposed to be doing out there as opposed to the past couple of years. And that to me is the biggest sign of Frank Pollock's
2: impact on this group. And in fairness, I I think if we are going to critique in this, in this case, I think it's been penalties probably the most, like Riley Reef has been flagged. Quinn Spam has been flagged. um, Jackson Carmen has been flagged twice. Uh, I'm sorry. Trey Hill has been flagged twice. I think, both came in that game against Washington, so there are some you know minor areas with, with that, mm-hmm. and I think some of them have been false starts, and you can attribute that to the, the shuffling at guard spots. But I, I have to agree; I think the technique has looked improved. It, I think what you're hearing from Frank Pollock is is unfolding right before our eyes. But like you said, like it's still the preseason, and who knows how hard these defensive lines are actually trying to sack a second string quarterback, and Brandon Allen, specifically last year with Jim Turner. They did not handle a single stunt or twist once and always allowed pressures and sacks against that. So we haven't really seen them go up against any exotic blitzes of that nature. But now that we seem to have a good idea about what, what the starting five is, who the two guards are, they will now continue to build continuity and chemistry with each other and that communication. That's going to that's going to be the biggest thing. Like there's plenty of experience at this point. On this offensive line, the, the most inexperienced guy is probably the best guy in Jonah Williams. So there's a lot of playing experience. There's a lot of just games played between these five players. So they should have a good idea about how to communicate and pass off different rushers to them. We just have to see it against the defensive line that's actually trying in the regular season and throwing everything they, they got at them.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of weird to me because I saw uh, I, on, that, on that play where Spain got the hold on the, uh, I think it was a it was a screen pass um, to to one of the running backs at the beginning of the game. There was a hold, there was a holding penalty. And uh, it, you know, I, I saw Chase Young just hustle, 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 hustle. And then later on, you know, he kind of had, he he went up against Jonah Williams in a, in a pass protection, Jonah just kind of stonewalled him a little bit. And you kind of go, well, I mean, did he just kind of feel like he was beat right away in its preseason game? And now how, you know, how hard was he trying there, Chase Young, but I mean, at the same time, Jonah Williams looks really good, and, and seeing him go up against Chase Young and and taking him out of the play essentially was, was a sight for sore eyes there. So I'm excited about what could be ahead for this group. I still have some caution, and I, I proceed with caution with this group, but I, I'm excited about what's ahead for that. Now, before we get to, to Believe It or Not, uh, I want to talk about the wide receiver group. We're going to talk in depth about Chase in the next segment. So spoiler alert there, but the wide receiver group as a whole, John, it kind of seemed like a mixed bag. You mentioned the three drops by chase, the amazing catch by, by Auden Tate, almost called him Brandon. Didn't, didn't want to do that. So, (laughs) uh, you know, you've, you've got in, in the Trent's uh, Trent Taylor, Trent and Irwin are, uh, you know, providing just kind of a, an interesting dynamic at the back end of this depth chart. Trent and Irwin had a really good first game. You could argue there were some ups and downs, a couple of nice plays in this one, but some missed connections with Brandon Allen, with Irwin. And, and uh, you know, Trent Taylor was the guy I think we all pegged as, hey, that guy's going to be the punt returner based on practices and everything. And he's been real quiet these first two preseason games. So I guess overall your your thoughts on the wide receiver group, T. Higgins looks fine. Tyler Boyd looks fine to me. Uh, it's kind of the rest of the guys and, and how that may shake out.
2: It seems like however many they keep, the final guy that they keep, both of those guys have fumbled near the goal line. <laughs> like I, I wonder what the conversation with Trent Irwin is if he holds on to the ball and he crosses and he crosses the end zone. Because last game, six targets, only two receptions. Yep. He's gotten a ton of opportunities, a ton of snaps, but this is the guy that has Here's a guy, Chris Collinsworth, here's a guy <laughs> that has impressed all, all throughout training camp and, and looked pretty solid in the, in the first preseason week. And then it seems like that momentum has died now. And we, there was a lot of momentum for Trent Taylor too, and he hasn't been really involved that so much in the offense. They've given a lot of opportunity to Irwin, and Taylor hasn't, like, his whole thing was supposed to be as a pump returner, and he just hasn't really done anything with that. It doesn't even seem like he's the primary option at pump returner right now. So, honestly, we're looking at how – this this 53 is going to be filled out here coming up next Tuesday. It does seem like wide receivers are the biggest question mark. You have to think that Mike Thomas sticks on as just like just a just like a main reserve as just a true receiver. And it could be six, it could be seven, and it could be both trends or it could be no Trents. We have no idea. Stanley Morgan so has a ton of value as special teams. He played outstanding on on punt teams as, as one of those gunners. So like both Trents, they had opportunities. They had clear paths to make the roster and it doesn't seem like either of them are really seasoned that outside of occasional practices right now there
1: is value in stanley morgan and i know that he doesn't show up in the stat column in these preseason games you you mentioned he's a valuable special teamer go back and look at that 17 yard run by chris evans and go look at the outside block that stanley morgan puts on the the cornerback that that he he's assigned to it's he just takes him out of the play, man. Um, And it, it's stuff like that. He does the dirty work. And I think that that's what gets coaches attention. And that's what gets, you know, people fired up about, about keeping a guy like that. So it's going to be interesting between the two trends between Stanley Morgan and other guys at the bottom of the the wide receiver depth chart there, what's going to happen. So, um, but you know, I think that's obviously one of the deepest positions T Higgins looks like I said, looks great. Tyler Boyd looks fine. And, um, you know, it's really just kind of about chase figuring some things out and we're going to talk more about that in a second. Any other final thoughts or observations you want to share before we move on to the believe it
2: or not segment, John. Along with receivers and how many they keep, I think it also coincides with how many running backs they keep. And, you know, Chris Evans continues to look electrifying, but it's hard to deny Jacquez Patrick, Know a spot on this roster, it seems like he has earned it, even if there is a debate about do you really need four running backs when you're paying your starter 50 million over four years? Like, how much opportunity is Jock Westpatrick actually going to see in the regular season as he advanced all the way up to the second string, be over Samaji Piran, or do they still trust him? Like, it it seems like they only need three, and you have to think Evans is that third with what he's done in his draft status. but I really want to see how well Jocko's Patrick finishes out the preseason now, especially with Travion Williams coming back. Presumably he's healthy and he's been practicing this week, so he's going to get his first and only chance of playing in the preseason to kind of reestablish his standing. So, you know, it could be seven receivers, three running backs or four running backs and six receivers, and it really might just depend on how both those positions do on Sunday.
1: Yeah, we may be talking about that position group a little later as well. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. Nod, nod. But uh, we've got a lot other things, a lot of other segments to get to, a lot to get to tonight. But that, those are some of the observations that John and I had, and some things we wanted to talk about with the Bengals losing 13 to 17 to Washington. The one thing I guess I want to do to put put a put some icing on that cake, I guess, or whatever whatever analogy you want to use. Bengals' kicking game looks looks strong, man. Uh, that rookie Evan McPherson, he he's looking. I, it's weird. I, I don't have that that big heartbeat on those long kicks when he. he tries He's to already got the
2: game. Justin Tucker. He's already got the Justin Tucker. Maybe,
1: effect on? maybe. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to say that and and jinx the poor guy. But when he goes out there and it's a fifty yarder, my guy's got it. I I, I just I I feel way more comfortable. I don't know what it is, and maybe it's just preseason. Or, I, I don't know, but I feel way more comfortable when he trots out there for a big, based on what we've seen in this very limited sample size. I just like this kid, and I don't want to hype him up too much because that position we know can, uh, that's such a, you know, head case type of position at times for a lot of players. I, I like what I've seen from that kid, though. Um, and he's been, he's been on, and hey, give credit to Cyber too. I mean, he's been pretty much perfect uh, through, throughout. His his attempts as well. So
2: the kicking game looks strong for for the Bengals this year, which is good news. I mean, I understand it because McPherson's kicks they haven't been anywhere near either upright or or the post. Like they've been they've been straight down the middle and so far above the post. So it's gonna be weird. It's gonna be weird when he eventually does miss. It's gonna it's gonna look right. weird, but it's going to happen. Hopefully, maybe gets. I don't, it'll be interesting this week because I feel like they should just give all the kicks to Cybert. Like they know that McPherson's going to make it like he's done everything right. They should give Cybert as many opportunities on Sunday as possible. So he can build his resume for his next job, because like you said, he's done fine, but he, he, he needed to be absolutely perfect. And he needed McPherson to, to screw up like Elliot did four years ago. And that's just not the case. McPherson looks like the real deal. Well,
1: uh, That's, yeah, I mean, and and he may end up going back to Cleveland, who knows, because Cleveland just put Cody Parkey uh, on IR. I don't know if they, as of today, I don't know if they signed anyone else that's going to light the world on fire, but Seibert might be a guy that Cleveland looks at reuniting with um, after that situation.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Before we get to the Believe It or Not segment, we want to talk to you about Symbol. We are partnering once again with Symbol Now, this time, towards the regular season, and I know a lot of listeners have taken advantage of the OBI promo. If you deposit $25 now with the promo code OBI, you get a free week of Symbol Gold, and we could tell you a little bit more about that. But Symbol is the stock market for sports, in case you did not know, is where you can invest in teams, whether it's ones that you are passionate about, ones you feel that you can make some money on, maybe a little bit of both. And it is a long-term play, not like a, a weekly pick or or uh, some of these survival pools or whatnot. It is a long-term play, if you want it to be, where you can make some money, invest in teams, and trade these teams, trade shares like their stock. So if you play fantasy football, if you play survival football, if you play the stock market, John, this has to be a sports fans within their repertoire, for sure.
2: It really is just like the combination of... What you dream of existing, like like I'm, I'm sure someone has thought about this product before, but they were just a little bit too late to actually put it and materialize it. And it it is it is as fun as you think it is. It literally is a stock market for sports. You just have a list of every NFL, NBA, MLB, and starting this year, college football team. They all have a symbol price attached to it, and this time of year is perfect to get into it. You're seeing teams in the preseason, you know, look at start to become what they're going to be over the next year or two. like Look at the Patriots right now. This is the, the 20th year of Bill Belichick, and you may have found a new quarterback in Mac Jones who's looking fantastic in the preseason. If you're buying into the Mac Jones hype in New England and you think he's going to lead them to another six Super Bowl rings, you can invest in the Sim Patriots, and you can watch that value of the Sim Patriots increase or decrease according to what they do on the field, and it's up to you to decide when to, when to buy and when to sell. It's completely up to you. You leverage your sports knowledge and you put your money where your mouth is. It's a lot of fun. And we encourage anyone listening to try it out for themselves. So use the promo code OBI to get your $25 to symbol gold.
1: Do it now. The website is in the live chat. So if you're joining us live, you can go. Uh, to that to that website take advantage of that offer that we mentioned and or if you are re-watching the video you can go do that and of course it'll be mentioned in the Cincy jungle post etc so uh, go check it out good stuff let's get to our believe it or not segment we've got some i i guess hot take alert right john Jamar Chase, first one up, and we, we, did, we could have talked about him in the first segment, but we've got a little more to say here. I, I know, look, let, let's just recap the situation, okay? Three drops. I kind of said, you know, maybe one was a little bit of an off throw by Brandon Allen, so maybe you can kind of say, you know, two of those he should have caught. One of those would, would have maybe been a little difficult, regardless. Credited for three drops in the game. And the one catch he has is on a, a in the preseason is on an easy screen. We didn't really mention it a lot, but there have been a couple of instances, more than a couple perhaps, of him dropping passes in practice, ones that seem to be of the routine ilk. Um, here's the deal, John. After that, I, I kind of said, okay, look. It's a game. It's a preseason game. Not a big deal. Let's see how he responds to practice. Well, unfortunately, Sunday, he had a bad practice. More drops. Stayed after to try and work on some things, but then rebounded on Monday. So I don't want to talk about the other social media thing until, if anything, even comes of that. I I don't even really want to go there unless you do. But uh, do do you believe in the panic of Jamar Chase? and or do you believe he's going to get this right and he'll be fine
2: by the time week one rolls around here? It kind of seems like he is starting to get it right. So when Friday night happened, you know, it it gets to social media. Like the clips are out there, the three drops are there, and people run with it, right? He's, a, he's the fifth overall pick. He's got a tremendous spotlight on him, and if he doesn't perform like a first-round rookie does, he's going to get flack for it, and rightfully so. Drops are drops. There's there's no real way to sugarcoat it. You know he was adjusted when the route a little bit. The timing was off. He had alligator arms because he saw Landon Collins. You know charging down on him. All that is fine. I originally gave him the benefit of the doubt because I do think while the drops are drops and they're more or less inexcusable. I do think that there could have been a factor in with him playing with Brandon Allen and practicing with Joe Burrow. I do think that that could have had something to do with the awkward time and not getting your head up as quick and the timing and with, with getting your hands up and expecting the pass at a certain period of time, I do think that that could have been a factor with it. And then after the, after that game on Sunday, the first practice after the game, he has like two drops there. And that's when I think it all should have kicked in that this is a legitimate mental block that he's going through, but that's mm-hmm. exactly what drops are. Like they're not an indication or an indictment on a lack of talent. He never really had any drop issues when LSU was really good in 2019, I I think, I guess, when he first got to LSU, he suffered some drops. And then there was, I guess, the summer of 10,000 or so catches where he just dedicated his whole life to just catching footballs, and then he got himself right. So he's been through some type of lull like this before, but this was clearly some, some type of intangible internal issue that wasn't just about working with two quarterbacks, practicing with one, and playing with another. This was something that was real that was going on with him. And ever since that Sunday practice, I guess he worked with, he has continued to work with receivers coach Troy Walters um, doing like some tennis ball drills, which is, I guess, what also hockey goalies do as well. Um, just doing everything that he can, just putting in the work to basically write this, right these wrongs right now. He also has the support of Tyler Boyd and T Higgins. They've been in this exact situations and they know what to, you know, tell him to get it, to get him through it. But ever since Sunday, he's caught everything I practiced so far. He's looked like the Jamar chase that we've expected and it kind of does seem like he's already on the right track to you know, kind of get out of this. And honestly, if you're going to go through some of this lull, this is exactly what the preseason is. Like T Higgins didn't have this, you know, he was thrusted into the starting lineup like week two, week three last year. He never, never really had two or three walkthrough games to get over some of his issues or his timing issues yeah. or whatever. And even T Higgins, T Higgins um, suffered like drops for a week or two last year, right, right before he started to pop off at the end of the season. So it happens with everyone. Even Frank Pollock, I guess, mentioned it to Zach Taylor that when he was with the 49ers this guy named Jerry Rice I guess dropped a couple passes when he was a rookie and people were calling him a bust and then he made 10 all pros which is dangerous because you don't want to compare Jamar Chase to to Jerry Rice at all but it's something that I guess every receiver goes through and if you're going to go through it as a rookie might as well just get out of the way in the preseason
1: it's it's okay I mean folks on Twitter just seem to be like oh he's a bust and or, oh, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. I mean, to me, it's, it's OK for people to say he's going to figure this out. But for right now, it's concerning. I mean, I, I don't understand why that's such a such a difficult thing for people to admit. I mean, when you see three drops in a game from your number five overall pick, that's concerning. But I understand some of the sentiments like from YouTube listener Chris Reisner, who says it'll be different with Burrow throwing him the ball. I guess I should pin that there. Yes, it is. However, in practice, we still have seen Chase drop some of these balls from Burrow. So it's not like these these drops have only been with Brandon Allen and Brandon Allen only. It has been with Burrow at times at practice. And then, of course, this display on Friday. So I think he's going to be fine. I love the fact that he's working after practice and doing all the little things to, to get past this mental block, as you called it, John, I, I I do think he'll be okay. It is concerning. And I guess it's concerning because we just came out of the John Ross era, because we just came out of the the latter part of AJ Green, where we thought that last year was going to be a really good year for him, and it was not. So I, I, I mean, I understand the hesitancy, I understand the cynicism, but I also believe that he's putting in the work. I do believe that some of the Continued rapport with Joe Burrow will help things. But, uh, I mean, if, if this does continue, I, I think we should be be pretty concerned if this tends to linger on. But I also do think, like you said, it happened with T. Higgins last year. Do not be surprised, particularly early in the season, if there is an occasional gimme drop, right? I mean, he didn't play last year. He didn't play last year. That's the He did not play football last year. So <laughs> I don't know how many times I can reiterate that. That, that's got to play into this whole thing.
2: Also, like, people don't remember this, I don't think. 2017, it was entirely possible that Tyler Boy was going to get cut, like, after the season. He was dealing with some, like, off-field issues. He was not producing on the field. It was his second year. He had a pretty decent rookie year, and he was dealing with drops, too. Like, he was being outplayed by freaking Alex Erickson in the slot in 2017. Yeah. Like, he was 22 years old. And he came into his own in year three. There is no development in the NFL is not linear, and there is no specific timeline for a player, no matter when they're drafted, to really develop into who they're supposed to be. But to your point, it, that is exactly how you should like address this. Like it exists. It should be taken a note of. Like we're not ignoring that Chase is dealing with these issues right now. Like we're not dismissing it we're not making it out to be nothing it is a note we're writing it down we're talking about it we're addressing it but at the same time you're right it, there's no need to make it into something that it may or may not be that's that's the business of projecting and that's not a really productive thing to do when talking about a player who's never really played who's never played in the regular season so that's exactly what we're doing that's exactly what we should be doing we're taking note of it we're talking about it we can come back to it if this problem persists when it actually counts but for right now it is what it is and like we talked about at least so far this this week in practice it's looked like it's already in the rearview mirror
1: does anyone know how old jamar chase is he's 21 he turned 21 in march so I, there's a lot of a lot of growth and development to be done at that at, at, right now and like i said last time he was catching f- passes in a meaningful game what 19 years old so i, I mean we got to we got to put things into into context here when we talk about jamar chase and this this blip here and hopefully that it it just remains a blip and we're go we're gonna laugh about this a a couple of weeks from now i think we will um it it is concerning but i think he'll write he'll write the ship and he's begun to do so as you mentioned in some of the subsequent practices john so um a lot of jamar chase talk this week and uh i I think things are starting to slowly go into a better direction there I wanted to ask you this. I I don't, um, if you have one for me, I would love to hear it as well. But the one you kind of touched on it a little bit with the defensive line, obviously the Bengals dealt a big blow with Joseph Osai's season-ending injury. Um, Zach Taylor wasn't really right out there saying season-ending. Maybe this is an IR return situation. Who knows? But still, he's going to be gone for a long time. Arguably, you you could say Osai is the most athletic or high potential pass rusher on this team. Um, but without him, the Bengals are still generating pressure, getting some sacks and doing some nice things up front, especially with DJ Reeder back, Trey Hendrickson in there, Sam Hubbard making some nice plays. Now they had Noah Spence, John. Um, you've got Cam Sample, who is kind of the forgotten guy a little bit because of Osai. Um, you've got Darius Hodge making some plays in preseason. Can the Bengals find some sort of formula in your estimation with some of those names, maybe another waiver wire addition, depending, and emulate most, if not all of the production Osai would have given them in the time that he's going to be missing?
2: So I was talking to a friend of the show, Good Joe Goodberry, about this, because Joe was talking about the loss of Osai and the impact of what that can have on the defensive line the defense, And he labeled it as a huge loss. Now, I think it is a valid point that Osai is probably their most athletic pass rusher. At this point, he might even be their second or third best pass rusher from the edge for what he has the potential to do. I'm not saying that he was going to replicate that Tampa Bay performance for 17 weeks, but given enough snaps with that athleticism, production was going to come. And the impact of his absence is going to be felt. My thing is with pass rushers specifically, it's not losing an offensive tackle. It's not losing a cornerback like Trey Wayne's, which may or may not have happened in training camp today. It's not losing Jesse Bates to free safety. It's not even losing Teagans at receiver. With pass with a single pass rusher, even one as talented as Osai, there can possibly potentially be a plan to compensate for that loss with just platooning like those snaps that would have gone to Osai, and you can pack you can package different pressure packages, package different blitzes to best compensate for what osai could have given there is not one single player that gives you the athletic upside that osai had or even the pass rushing prowess that he had and displayed against tampa bay but compared to other high value positions on the football field i think edge rusher is one where you could overcome the loss of a single person especially if the rest of the group is playing like this like this is Darius Hodge is the reason the preseason exists and why we care about it. Because without the preseason, Darius Hodge does not make this team. He's playing his heart out right now, and he has the perfect opportunity to take that role from Osai. But even Darius Hodge is not going to be enough to replace what Osai could have given them, which is why guys like Khalid Kareem and Cam Sample have to step up, or even though Spence if he does end up making the team. So it's possible that the pass rush is going to be just fine without Osai if the other guys basically step in collectively as a unit. And replace that potential production. It's possible at that position because just the nature of it. It's not just relying on one guy. You rely on multiple guys at that spot.
1: You're, yeah, you can't you can't rely on one guy to emulate what Joseph was either most or all of his potential production. You can't that's not that's just not What's going to happen there? It has to be by committee, and I do agree that Hodge. If you remember a few years ago, remember Chris Smith uh, in the mm-hmm. in the preseason, John, a, a guy that was a little undersized and um, just made a name for himself in these preseason games, getting after the quarterback and and got himself onto the Bengals roster, and then a nice payday with the Browns has bounced around a little bit since. But I mean, Hodge's kind of ascension in the preseason has reminded me a little bit of that from a few years ago. But um, you know. I I think that they will be able to replicate most. I don't think, like you said, there's not a true athletic threat like Osai among the pass rushers. They're going to have to do things by committee. They're going to have to mix up their looks. They're going to have to do different things on passing downs to be able to generate pressure. I think that was the plan all along. And I think sample is going to be a movable piece to be able to do that. But here's the thing. I, I am confident that the Bengals will still be able to have a, a an able pass rush without a with the names that we're talking about. However, if the injury dominoes continue to fall, we're, we're looking at, you know, it, and I'm not talking, you know, oh, well, of course, three guys are out. I'm talking like maybe one more, maybe two more. I mean, you you, you can't lose more guys up front again. You just can't. DJ Reader has to stay healthy. I know he's not your true pass rusher, but he's generated a few pressures already in the preseason. He's a presence up front. you got to have Trey Hendrickson be healthy. Sam Hubbard has to stay healthy. You can't lose more guys. I think if they lose more guys, we're in big trouble on the the pass rush front. If it kind of stays where it is and they remain pretty healthy up there, I think they'll be okay without Osai.
2: It does kind of suck that they've drafted three of these edges, and all three of them are injured right now. Cam yeah. um, Sample, like, I mean, at, I'm assuming that's minor. They've claimed it's minor immediately, so I think there's hope that he's going to be fine for September. White Hubert is out for the entire season, along with potentially Osai. We don't even know if like if they're going to place Osai on IR designated to return. That would require him to make the initial 53 to then be placed on injured reserve. So. We have no real idea about that. They could be in a position where they're competitive in December and they get him back. But regardless, like they addressed it plenty in the offseason. And it seems like they're only really going to get um, Trey Hendrickson and maybe a little bit of Cam Sample here and there. But it's an opportunity for Trey Hendrickson to prove that he is the 73rd best player in the NFL. He was just voted on that by his peers on the NFL top 100. So they're going to need 13 and a half sacks from probably if they want this unit to improve as much as, as they wanted to without Osai and, and Hubert and for, for most of the season.
1: That's that's true. Uh, you got uh, another one here, John, before we move on?
2: Or you need me to, to pepper you some more here? Now nah, just real quick. I want to talk about your thoughts on Brandon Allen. Because okay. obviously the dude looks nothing like the quarterback who – won whatever World war that was against Houston in week 16 last year. I think we can safely say that that week was an anomaly. And this is still the brain and now that has jumped around from team to team in his five years in the NFL, regardless, I wonder, does it matter? Honestly, like we knew that he was going to play the majority of this preseason. He's not even close to the same quarterback as Joe Burrow. There's just very few backup quarterbacks in the NFL that can give you similar production to your starter, And all of them have already found another team. There was, I guess, some discussion about should the Bengals look out into the quarterback market to find a veteran who can be better than Brandon Allen. And at this point in late August, I don't think that that option exists. But I guess my question to you is, does it matter that Brandon Allen has not looked like the same quarterback that he finished the 2020 season as? Because Joe Burrow is coming back, he's going to play against Miami. And because it it really doesn't really matter who your backup quarterback is because he's just not as good as your starter.
1: I'm going to borrow a quote from Joy Taylor, who is on the herd with Colin Cowherd. I heard them talking today about the Denver quarterback situation. And she said something to the effect of, if you have, if you have two quarterbacks, you like, you don't have a quarterback essentially. And that means, you know, if there's a competition and you really like what two guys are showing you and this and that, that means you don't have the guy. And the Bengals have the guy. The only question or concern that I would have about Brandon Allen in terms of him starting and his performance at this point is if Joe Burrow was totally not ready to go to start the season. And if we were talking about, hey, you know, we got to wait on Joe coming back. Maybe he'll be back towards the end of the first month. We got to get by these first few games. And, and that's when Brandon Allen's starting games would matter to me. If, if Joe Burrow was not ready to go by week one, by all indications, we're going to talk more about what's happening next week. By all indications, Joe Burrow will be ready to go week one. He will be there and playing and all of that. So I, I understand the, the sentiment of, hey, we got to have a, a more capable backup, at least one more capable than what we saw against Washington. Um, that Washington defense is pretty good. He he had three or four balls, maybe even more that should have been caught that could have pe- that helped his stats out a little bit. He also was errant on some throws too, so I'm not going to give him a pass. But at this point, it's kind of like, well, I mean, uh, if if he's starting games, the Bengals are pretty much in trouble unless it was at the beginning of the season to get by a couple of games until Joe came back.
2: If any quarterback. Other than Joe Burrow, whether he's on the Bengals roster or not, if any other one is starting instead of Joe Burrow, they're screwed. Like it it, it does it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter if they bring in another back or quarterback. He's not gonna be that much better than Brandon Allen, no matter how crappy Brandon Allen continues to play. And to be like you and borrow a quote, I forget which Colts coach said this, but he said, like, we don't practice without Peyton Manning because we don't practice F- F up. It's like we, we we don't practice like that. We we don't practice when our back when our starting quarterback is not out there because it, it doesn't matter. We're we're not we're not going to do anything. And that was proven last year when they had both Ryan Finley and Brandon Allen back there. So yeah, it it doesn't seem to matter as much to waste a roster spot on another quarterback who's not going to make a difference.
1: That's yeah. I mean, there's nothing really more to be to be said there. I mean, again, if the Bengals are going to their to their backup quarterback, that's the season is unless it was for a couple of games to start the season. That that pretty much means your season's down the tubes at that point, and hopefully we don't have to talk about that situation again for the second year in a row. Let's move on, John. We will be talking about a specific position group. You've been spearheading this segment, and you have a group in mind that you want to talk about, especially after what we witnessed on uh, week two against Washington in the preseason. Let's
2: talk about the running backs a little bit. We've gotten a lot of exposure to Chris Evans. We've got a lot of exposure to John Patrick. And it seems like those two are going to fill out the remainder of this group. I don't think that Samaje Pirine has done himself a lot of favors, specifically with the fan base. He's just not been really productive in the opportunities that he's had. He's, he's had a fumble. Doesn't He's naturally just not as athletic as a guy like Evans and Patrick is. Even with that said, they signed him to a two-year deal this offseason. He's going to be the backup to Joe Mixon. It seems like they got their four, and there's not that much to talk about. But there's still a guy in Puga Williams who exists, who had a snap. I think one snap against Washington. He was like got like eight yards on the end of the round. And they get, they're getting Travion Williams back this week as well. So is there anything, I guess, that Williams, both Williamses, I guess in this case, can do to improve their standing over Jacques Patrick or is this is this position group just basically done it's just a matter of if they keep 3 or
0: 4
1: I think it's pretty I think it's pretty settled I mean there might be a surprise in there that they keep 3 I don't see that happening there's been some surprises in this position group already this year I mean I think some people thought hey you know Gio might be trade bait or what have you uh salary cap casualty I didn't really buy it at the time. I think most people were like, "Well, maybe, I guess," but it, it ended up being that way. And the Bengals went back to the to the drawing board and rebuilt the running back group a bit. Now, Travion Williams coming back at a good time for his sake in terms of making the roster, but uh, might be too little, too late. And then we've talked about it with him the the Frank Pollock versus Jim Turner situation, you know, Trevion Williams ran behind an offensive line at Texas A&M. It was coached by Jim Turner, so I think that's where that connection uh really rang true, but uh I and who knows if that's you know, if how Frank Pollock feels about him, but you know, uh you know there's there's just to me I, the the one thing that seems to be a question for me you you mentioned p ryan um you know patrick's a bigger back patrick has shown some some athleticism and some nice things on tape you know is there any kind of world that exists that samaj p ryan doesn't make this team especially if they're going to try and scrape together money and maybe put together a deal for jesse bates i don't know um i tend to think though that the the running back group is pretty set with mix p ryan Evans and, uh, and Patrick making the team. And, and I would, you know, I like Puka Williams. There just hasn't been much, much on him in preseason in terms of snaps. Uh, I I like Travion Williams from what I've seen in very limited time, but I just think those are the guys that they have their eyes set on at this point in time. And I would, I would give a a good amount of applause to Jacques Patrick who had to bide his time. I mentioned this before that he had to bide his time, Last year was a promising guy, but didn't get the ability to show anything really because of no preseason games. And now this year he is doing that.
2: I think it's unfortunate that obviously Travion has been injured the first two weeks of the preseason. This is going to be his only game that he gets to play. And Puga was injured the first week, barely played the second week. And I think he was injured again this week in practice. It was something I think with his hamstring. We don't know if he's going to play. It just kind of seems like at this point he's a lock for the practice squad because I'm assuming they still value what he, the athlete that he is and that he has potential promise down the road. Travion Williams, I guess, technically still has practice squad eligibility because they can keep a certain number of vested veterans if he even qualifies to be a vested veteran. It really does seem like it's just it's just Evans and Patrick, and maybe Patrick is the guy who they waive initially to keep Joseph aside on the roster. You have to assume that a fourth-string running back in today's climate is not going to get picked up by any team. He's going to clear waivers. They can bring him back. And then they carry for for the season, and presumably they're going to run the ball pretty heavily in the first month or so to get Joe Burrow's feet wet a little bit so they don't rush him out there for 40, 50 attempts a game. But also, looking at the starting three, or the main three, Mixon, P. Ryan, and Evans – even though Piran, I think, still deserves to be number two on the depth chart, I do think that Evans has more value, at least in, for what this offense wants to be in terms of passing the ball. Evans has looked phenomenal as a pass protector, and we don't know if Piran can necessarily do those similar things. He really didn't really have experience doing so the first two years here with the team. But Evans, even though he's just a rookie, he's on the older side as a rookie. But even as a rookie, he's looked sublime in pass protection, and he has this natural receiving ability that only. Joe Mixon really has to compete with him. He does look like Evans does the true replacement heir to what Giovanni Bernard was for this team for the for the better part of the last decade, and I do wonder if this work in the preseason is going to take snaps away from Piran in those situations. I think you're muted, man.
1: My question is with two – thank you uh, – two guys who are – young and unproven in terms of nfl regular season games i i you know it would seem to your point about evans that there's probably going to be a somewhat significant role right away for a guy like that do you remember you know you mentioned geo bernard i i remember chris perry i know he never really amounted to all that much but um early in his career there was a there was a time where he was a really able pass catcher and was a nice outlet for carson palmer earlier and then they you know, once he kind of fizzled out, they transitioned to Kenny Watson. But um, you know that that could be a role there, where where Evans is is slated for right away as a rookie. It's just a matter of hey, as a rookie and a guy who didn't have a, what, did, what what did I say about 21 touches overall last year at Michigan? Didn't have a lot of touches last year as well. So if you're gonna throw him to the Wolves right away in NFL regular season games, you know you got to make sure that these guys are going to be ready. Maybe the maturity level and the age uh, helps him in that front, but um, that's just something that concerns
2: me a little bit, but I love the talent in this group overall. Yeah, I guess Chris Evans is just redemption for, he, he's the right Michigan running back that they've drafted in the last 20 <laughs> years or so. But yeah, that, that seems to be what the position group is going to be. its We can talk all we want about Pierre and Evans and Patrick, who Patrick may not even be active on game days. This is Joe Mixon's show. You know, they haven't been on the field that much in the preseason because he doesn't really have to be, but they need to get the most out of that contract as soon as possible. He's still only 25 years old. He's got a decent offensive line in front of him. He's got his run game coordinator, his best friend, Frank Pollock, back. Like, we can talk all we want about Evans in the passing game and, and P. Ryan as a decent backup, but this is a mix show, and he's not going to leave the field very much. So, you know, it, it, it does seem kind of a little weird or not pointless or futile, but like we can talk all we want about these backups, but. It, unless Mixon goes down, like this is going to be his show and it's going to be rare to see him leave the field. But I am interested to see how um, often Evans is utilized in the passing game. It could be as early as week one or it could be something that kind of, you know, pro- pro- progresses as the years as the year goes on. But this is Mixon's show for sure.
1: I agree. I the one thing I want to see, I'm a, I, I like Joe Mixon and when he is on, he is one of the best backs in the league. It's just a matter of, and we've seen it, John. Real streaky both ways. Real streaky, right? I mean, there are uh, there's a month in a row where you go, "Whoa, what's going on?" And then all of a sudden, the last six games of the season, he's leading the AFC in rushing, and it's boom! It's you know, four 100 yard plus games in the in the last six. You know, all, all these types of things. I just would like to see it. I mean, I know we can't expect 100 yards every every game and, you know, a bunch of yards per carry type of thing. But there just needs to be a little bit more consistency and not such long dry spells Um, that that's my only criticism. And I don't think that's all on Joe Mixon, by the way. I think he has run behind some very poor offensive lines coached by subpar coaches. So that's the thing I'm looking for. It, it, we've seen a little bit of an increase in consistency in the first two preseason games and the run game, but there still is a little feast or famine there for me, at least for my liking. But that's something I'm looking for with Nixon.
2: Running back specifically is going to be a topic of discussion in this upcoming Sunday game. So let's kind of transition to previewing that. Obviously the biggest news we have, I guess we have to start. Joe Burrow is going to play. We didn't know for sure, at least from the outside looking in, if this was going to happen. It's been a topic of debate for the the better part of the last month. But as I think the month progressed and we continued to see him progress and improve and get back to playing shape and practice, kind of seemed like that was the momentum going into this and saying, you know, yeah, there's still a risk about him playing and taking unnecessary hits before the games count. But he does, I mean, he's medically clear to play. He looks ready at this point. Throw him out there for a series or two. Don't ask him to do anything too crazy, too special, but get him just get his feet wet so that the first time he's out there is not going to be week one against the Mike Zimmer defensive line. It really is. It's just about how long he's going to be out there, what he's going to do when he's out there and how much can, or will they protect him from taking any unnecessary hits kind of, he spoke to the media after um, Wednesday's practice and he kind of said like, yeah, I do want to get hit, but I don't think that was going, I don't think that's going to happen. I wasn't really sure if he was talking about, he's just confident in his offensive line or he knows the plays that he's going to run will not really get him into harm's way. It could be some bootlegs. It could be some quick passes, some screens. So in terms of Joe Burrow playing, is it the smart move? Is it, is it still a little bit too early? And when he is out there, what are you expecting from him to see in, in his preseason debut?
1: There's risks and rewards to to either uh, either either decision you make there. I understand either viewpoint and either opinion in terms of fans or whoever that look at this and say, "Why is he playing?" Or, yeah, he needs to he needs to take a hit. He needs to you know the kind of the more old school mentality. Um, I, I, it's not about me wanting to see him take a hit and get that pop back up or anything like that. It's more, he hasn't thrown a pass in a significant football game in a very long time. His rookie season was not only cut short, but he didn't have a preseason to work with, preseason games to work with there. So I just, you know, if you're going to go against Minnesota, pretty good defense there and a defensive-minded coach uh, week one, I, I just would like to see him get some get some real live action. Even if it is a watered-down preseason game, I would like to see that. I I'll probably be holding my breath every time he drops back for a variety of reasons, but, and I don't want him in that game very long, but throw a couple of of controlled passes, things like that. The one thing you mentioned, John, about like something you said basically something to the effect of, uh, you know, he's, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they protect him and if he's going to get hit. It's also on him about Mm -hmm. getting hit. As if you remember last year he kind of ran around and and ran into some some quarterback hits and, and ran into some contact so it is going to be on him a little bit too to avoid big hits and, and all of that because he's he's kind of been a guy that can navigate the pocket will shed off some some would-be blitzers and whatnot and uh, make a play so I, that's kind of what I'm interested in there but I don't think they're gonna maybe they'll throw one deep ball um, just to kind of let him air it out a little bit but I think it's going to be a very controlled type of type of scenario for him to limit any kind of possibility for an
2: injury or anything like that. I would be utterly shocked if he holds the ball for longer than three seconds on any dropback. If we if we can even classify his dropbacks as dropbacks, I think it's going to be hitch throw, maybe a screen, maybe some, just a quick slant or something like that. I don't think he's going to be spending a lot of time surveying the field in the pocket not even because of the questions on the offensive line. I just don't think that they want to give him opportunities to take those unnecessary hits, but getting hit is unfortunately a factor here. It's, it's not something that we, you know, are comfortable talking about, but I, it was brought up on Twitter. I believe by Darth, new uh, say, but he remembered back when Carson Palmer came back for his first preseason, like seven and a half months after his ACL surgery, he got hit. I believe in his preseason debut. And it was important for him to experience that. And not only to experience the hit, but get back up and play the next play. I know that if it does happen against Miami, if he does get hit and there's contact and whatever, like there's going to be the immediate urge to get him out of there. Like one's enough, whatever. I do think though, that there is some value into him playing the next play, overcoming that hit, kind of just feeling it for the first time in in nine months and then whatever, just hand the ball off or throw it it away really quickly. I think it's not just about getting hit, but it's about getting hit and getting back up and and going on to the next play. I think if he does that once, it'll do wonders for him, especially if if he doesn't have to do it for the first time in week one.
1: Yep, and he admitted uh, early in in training camp, he admitted that there were some mental hurdles he had to clear in terms of uh, worrying about contact around his legs, who was coming in at him, and... He has claimed that he has gotten past it, so um, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens there, John. I, I, Trey Hopkins is playing too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's slated to get some snaps. He hasn't played yet this preseason. Billy Price has put on a nice audition. So, um, what 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 do you make of Trey Hopkins? And um, you know, pretty pretty astounding comeback by him to be back this soon as
2: as he had that knee injury in the last game of the season. I it's weird how we never really talked about it. Like it, it should have been, I guess the point of discussion, if Burrow were to debut in the preseason that Hopkins would, because he's also medically cleared. He's been medically cleared since the start of camp, just like Burrow. But that relationship between center and quarterback is important. And I think it is important that he's going to be out there with Burrow and not Billy price. If it was assumed that Hopkins is going to go out there for week one, just having both of them in the huddle, making the calls, making the adjustments, that that center quarterback snap relationship is important to continue building outside of the practice field. So I think it is important. It is notable that he is going to be out there with Burrow, and he's not going from one center to the next in just a two-week span. So I'm assuming he's going to play as much as Burrow or as little as Burrow, whatever you want to call it. But it is it is important. And it is also impressive that he's out there. Like I guess it's assumed that his ACL tear was not as severe as Joe Burrow's was because he's 100 pounds heavier and it and happened a month later, but Nonetheless, another impressive comeback by one of these guys.
1: Yep, and those two guys are known as team leaders, and obviously the way that they have attacked the rehab process has resonated with with a lot of players. Uh, who do you who do you think this game? I mean, it's weird because in the four game preseason schedule, it was always you know week three is that dress rehearsal, and week two was it was a pretty important game, but week three was that dress rehearsal. Well, now with three games. You kind of say, well, I guess week two was kind of the dress rehearsal, but your starters are starting to get some snaps in this one. In week three, um, who who do you think needs to have the best showing? I, I mentioned them earlier. Personally, I think that the two Trents um, need to have a, a good showing, and and I I mean, I don't think I I don't think both of them will make the team. I think at most one of them will. So I think for them in particular, it's probably got to be someone's got to show show off in this one for me. And those are guys that kind of come to the top of my
2: mind. hundred percent. I think those two are in the biggest remaining battle um, left. Obviously we talked about the running backs, but it does seem pretty clear that it's going to be Evans and Patrick or just Evans. But also I think cornerback is interesting. Dre mm-hmm. Wayne's injured his hamstring on Wednesday's practice. We don't know the severity or the extent of it, but it, his status for week one is probably in some form of reasonable doubt. So that could impact how the cornerback group is built, at least right after final cuts. But assuming that Wayne's is fine and he's going to be fine, it does seem like Jalen Davis has taken that final cornerback spot. And the only way that it's not is if Tony Brown and or Winston Rose both have like multiple interceptions in this game. So let's, let's just say that Wayne's injury would, would put his week one status in jeopardy. I think it does. this game does absolutely matter to both Brown and Rose. I think both of them got reps with the ones uh, early in training camp when Waynes was dealing with a hamstring injury, so maybe he re-aggravated that same injury uh, on Wednesday. So both of them have had experience with the ones early on in training camp. They're going to get a ton of snaps in this game. Unfortunately, neither one has looked nearly as impressive as Jalen Davis has through two preseason games, but if this Waynes injury is at least somewhat significant, this game matters for them because they could be needed early on the season.
1: What about tight end? Uh, Mason Shrek had a couple of nice plays last, last week. Thad Moss has uh, done some nice things in camp and has had a small handful of catches. Nothing huge, huge in, in the first two preseason games, but uh, another guy that was in there right away on that big uh, – he, he threw a nice block. On that chris evans 17 yard run as well against washington i mean um we, we know it's going to be uzama and sample uh so i mean what do you what do you think about that position group and maybe is there even a waiver wire type of situation that may occur for this team again not really a heavily utilized player in this zach taylor slash sean McVay type of system but Still, I mean, you, you want to have an, a few able pass catchers there, and I I would think that this game for a Thad Moss and Mason Shrek should uh, should should be a, a big
2: audition for them. I know we got Chris Hubbard in the chat, which is why I'm going to say that Thad Moss is making this team. Like hmm. I, for for whatever reason, like I guess this is a discussion between him, Mason Shrek, and Mitchell Wilcox. Wilcox didn't even play in the no. last game, so he needs this. He needs these reps. But, man, Mason Shrek has been there for five years. He's done nothing in the regular season. He's been injured a lot, which sucks. But, like, at this point, even if Mason Shrek is the same player that he's always been, what does he add What does he add that Thad Moss doesn't at this point? And I think that Moss has looked impressive in preseason. I think he's strung together a few impressive practices uh, of late. I think he had, like, a great uh, reception yeah. to end practice on Wednesday today. So, like it, it just doesn't seem as much of a competition as maybe uh, Jeff Hobson and some others are, are making it out to be. He's gotten the most opportunity out of these three through two games of preseason, so I, I think this really is Moss's job to lose. The 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 Burrow connection is just a cherry on top of it all.
1: Yeah, I like I like Mitchell Wilcox at least the idea of him. He was he was you know tall guy had a, a handful of touchdowns in college and uh, a guy I thought maybe could especially with the lack of big-time talent overall in the position group. I just thought that would be a guy that would be able to, to make his mark and really hasn't. And, and then you bring in Moss, the obvious connection with Burrow and everything. I, I think there are a lot of things playing in his favor. And he's responded well to to practices in preseason games. So that's another position group I think we need to watch. Anything else on this game that you want to talk about before we drop the mic and get out of here, John?
2: I, I wonder? No, apparently uh, Drew Chrisman's back, the rookie punter out of Ohio state, but I would assume that he's not going to get any work because they probably want to stash him on the practice squad, but really is a shame. I, I really wanted to see if he couldn't actually have pushed uh, Kevin Huber this preseason, but he is just returning from a hand injury that has taken him out for the better part of the month, but to the practice squad you go, Mr. Crispin.
1: Yeah. And I think also Kevin Huber's had a pretty good preseason um, punting the football. So, not overly worried about that i do think that this is probably a situation where if they do like chrisman he's probably the guy next year this is probably huber's job this year and they he's gonna have to bite his time so that's probably what they'll do there uh let I, i've got a little something special for our drop the mic uh it's kind of a combo of drop the mic and another segment but do you have anything that you want to get off your chest
2: before we get out of here john sharon i just had something to comment on your drop the mic. So I'm going to let you go
1: first. Okay. So we like to do sound bites of the week and we primarily do those in season because there's just more pressers and more, you know, kind of talking points in terms of games and whatnot. Um, We're we're going to do something a little different with this one. This is, and we don't like to play our own interviews or play our own clips, but um, here's the thing. This is, we mentioned earlier, we had the great opportunity to speak with Devin and Leah still uh, great, great people. And we are so excited that Leah is cancer-free and, and living life and doing all kinds of cool things. Devin is kind of a, a modern Renaissance man as well. He's done all kinds of different things too. Really, really cool people. Here's the thing this week, John. Um, unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, we got some bad news about Ken Anderson and Ken Riley uh, not making the Pro Football Hall of Fame. and And with that, came the inevitable tweets from some of the voters that resurfaced about the Bengals are a bad organization and Joe Burrow should uh, not not play for this. Uh, This is going back to obviously last year's draft, but Joe Burrow should opt to not play for the Bengals. They're such a bad organization and they're not doing things right and all this kind of stuff. And they just don't, they can't get out of their own way. Well, I, I just want to remind this kind of, I went back to our talk with Devin Still and I want to kind of remind people The Bengals are a far from perfect franchise, Um, but I want to remind some people of some things that they did a few years back for the Still family and for Devin Still in particular. He kind of recounted that. So this is this week's soundbite of the week. It is Devin Still from our interview uh, that we put out earlier on Wednesday. Obviously two folks that – just resonate in the hearts of all of Bengals Nation. They are joining us, courtesy of United Therapeutics Oncology, in light of Childhood Cancer Awareness Month coming up in September. Devin and Leah, how are you both doing? Thanks for joining us. Oh, we're doing great. Thank you for having us. Well, it it's a treat. It's a treat uh, before we kind of took the air here. I, I, we've been looking forward to this for a long time, and uh, definitely want to hear what you will be doing with United Therapeutics oncology, especially with Childhood Cancer Awareness Month coming up. But uh, I, I, I guess I want to kind of start a little bit, Devin, with you if you don't mind and go back in time a little bit. Obviously, as Leah's diagnosis kind of came to light, um, the Bengals, as you were kind of doing what you need to do, be there for her, be there for your family, etc. There were, uh, some things that the Bengals did that stepped up. They, they stepped up on their end in terms of, uh, allowing you to take care of Leah and all the things that you need to do. Uh, some Bengal fans may not remember that, but would you mind mm-hmm. kind of talking a little bit about that? You can, for those who can see, I'm wearing the Jersey here. That was one of the endeavors there.
3: But uh, maybe maybe remind us a little bit of how the Bengals stepped up a little bit in that time. Yeah, so the, the Bengals stepped up in two major ways. Number one, when I first found out about Leah's diagnosis and I called Marvin and I talked to the Browns, they let me know that I could put my focus on Leah and they would take care of football. So when I came back out to Cincinnati for training camp, They reiterated the same thing, like, you just focus on Leah and we'll take care of football. And then we ended up discussing going down to the practice squad so that my sole focus can be on Leah. And as the journey got a little bit easier for me to handle, they would bring me back up to the the 53-man roster. So that was the first initial thing that they did, which was huge for me. The second thing they did was to put my jersey on sale like you just showed. to raise awareness or raise money for cancer research for Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And then fans, not only just Bengals fans, but fans all over the place or supporters um, just bought jerseys and we ended up raising over a million dollars for cancer research, which was huge. And I'm glad that the Bengals decided to do that. So
1: look, I mean, obviously it takes NFL fans, Bengals fans, to, to shell out the 100 bucks for the jersey to make that donation but it was the bangles idea to, to do this maybe it was a lot of marvin who knows but marvin worked with devin still the browns worked with devin still to say hey we're going to keep you on the practice squad do what you need to do make sure that you're going to have medical coverage for your daughter and your family they didn't need to do all that they could have been cold-hearted you know made cold-hearted business decisions on that front. And they didn't do that. They took care of one of their players that they valued who was going through an incredibly tough time. And they wanted to make sure that they, they did that. And you know, the thing I thought about John with this is this, this is kind of where you, you, you also get get, think about Elizabeth Blackburn and the things she is doing in terms of positive PR for this team and bringing them back to, uh, you know, modern times in terms of social media and all of that kind of stuff. I don't know. I just kind of went down this line of thinking based on this quote and I think it's so easy to continue to pile on the bangles are an easy target for the national media for a variety of reasons. But so many times these types of stories get swept under the rug. And, you know, it's one of those times we like to criticize the Bengals, but we also like to applaud them for some of the things they did. And even though this was like six, seven years ago, now you got to give them props.
2: Yeah. I mean, from a very callous perspective, unfortunately at that time, Devin still was not really playing his way right. into a significant role with the team. Like he was a second round pick entering his third year. You know, he was being outplayed by other guys. So like, like you said, they didn't have to keep him on the practice squad. They could have made the, the the business decision to move on from him and do what's best for the football team. So the fact that they went out of their way to formulate a solution so that he could, you know, have a weekly paycheck and have the benefits of being on an NFL roster, but have the time and an effort to, be there for, for Leah, who was only, what, four or five years old at the time, it, it, it meant a lot. And uh, you know six, seven years later, he still has those fond memories and those fond feelings for the organization and the Browns in general. And I just wanted to say, like, in terms of any guests that we've had on here, I, I think, I think Leah is by far the biggest superstar, undoubtedly. <laughs> like, yeah. I, we, we remember, like, that year so vividly. Like her face was plastered all over social media and, and, and the stories. And, and, you know, she shaved her head for, for, for chemo and everything like that. Just hearing what she's been up to since then, like just living a normal life as an 11-year-old. Now, six years past permission, officially cancer-free. She rang the bell, I believe March 25th of 2020. Right as COVID was taking off, her life was getting so much better. Like it, it's it's awesome that she is just living a normal life for an 11 year old and the work that they're doing um, raising awareness for the very cancer and disease that she beat is fantastic. And I'm so happy that we were able to be a platform for them to spread that message.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't, it couldn't have said it better. As great as it is to speak to a former Bengal and a great, great guy, a great interview. I mean, just, just a really good guy. It was, it, it is something special to see her, sitting there with a smile on her face and and kind of talking about hanging out with friends and doing the things that 11 year olds do beating this this disease so like you said john um just it it was really cool really really cool that to see her there and uh talk to both of them about what they're doing with united therapeutics oncology go check that out there's going to be a full post on cincy jungle on thursday morning so check that out download that interview download the video um, on our on our YouTube channel, or, or watch the video on our YouTube channel. Um, go check that out. You can also get this episode and all of the others on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. Check it out. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's a little box, I believe, right under John's left shoulder. You can click that and. Subscribe and then turn on the bell for notifications so you know when we go live, when new stuff's coming out, and you can keep up on all of your Bengals news. You can also do that at Cincy Jungle. Great riders like my co-host over here are spearheading a lot of different stuff on news, opinions,
2: analysis, all that kind of stuff. So check it out.
1: Anything else before we bounce out, John?
2: One more week of preseason. We're almost there. I think we're at 18 or so days until the regular season. That, that's all I got. We're, we're so close. We're, so, we're oh
1: so close. Oh so close. Thanks everybody for tuning in live. Thanks for downloading After the Fact. We will see you Friday for listener questions live and a roundtable discussion with Jake liskow and James Rapine of Locked on Bangles and the All Bengals website. Excited for that and our continuing coverage of the Bengals on this program and cincyjungle.com. Take it easy, everybody. Have a good rest of your week and we'll see you soon.